Welcome to Terminal Talk, the podcast about mainframe and mainframe-related topics. And uh, we're hoping you guys are getting ready to go to Share, which is coming up uh, March 11th. Oh, I know I am. Yeah, and you know, we're going to do a really cool uh, live Terminal Talk session. You may want to check it out. Um, it's called Terminal Talk Live. You should be able to find it. As you look <laughs> really creative name we came up with there. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> so our guest today is Jerry Moody, senior software engineer mm -hmm. in mainframe LPAR. That's correct. So, uh, of course, we all know what it is, but what is an LPAR? Uh, an LPAR just stands for a logical partition. Um, basically, what we have is we have a hypervisor out there that uh, manages a bunch of virtual machines, effectively. And uh, so each of those are called a logical partition and because they're logical. And uh, we partition the machine into many different um, virtual machines. So, so what does that mean? Like, I, I, I get a mainframe, I, I power it on. Um, do, is the LPAR something that I see, or how do I how do I first come in contact? Yeah, with no, that? the uh, so the hypervisor is called Prism, and that's a good way to remember it. It's P R slash S M. Oh, like uh, the eye fell over. <laughs> <laughs> so the the easiest way to remember that or to view that it is it's very much like a prism. You have kind of a white light coming in, and as it goes through the prism, it separates into the various colors, and each of those colors will then represent an individual partition. Each part partition is unique, uh, and the partitions can't communicate with each other. Uh, those running in the partition don't even know that they're running uh, as part of a box. They think they own the entire box. They don't, <laughs> but it's a virtual machine, and so they think they own all the resources in the, uh, in the box. So, so Prism is just a big fat liar. Is what you're yeah, basically, we, we descri uh, uh, hide all the details. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, um, so the prism is, in fact, the hypervisor. As it breaks down into each of those light colors or each of the partitions, uh, each partition thinks um, that it uh, has all the resources of the box. So we're not the only people, the mainframe people are not the only people who've done that kind of thing. Uh, that's correct. There are other uh, hypervisors out there. Now, IBM did invent the virtual machine um, with the virtual machine operating system way back in the 60s. Um, so we've been doing this a long time. Um, so we're very good at it. Uh, and uh, the... Uh, hypervisor comes up native on the machine. Every machine comes out today. You must be running the Prism hypervisor. On prior machines, you had the option to be able to start with a hypervisor or come up native and run your own operating system. But a few machines ago, um, we did away with that. Now everybody runs with the uh, Prism hypervisor uh, in the box. So when people say, oh, I'm running on the metal, uh, on, on Z today, you can't really run on the metal. Today, you cannot. That is true. Yeah, so you must have the, uh, the Prism hypervisor there. Can you describe uh, the difference between this hypervisor and, say, VMware? Uh, well, okay. Uh, so um, the way VMware generally works is it dispatches the entire... Um, machine at a time. Um, so when you get into a virtual machine, it dispatches that whole virtual machine. With the LPAR hypervisor, what we do is we actually dispatch each partition independently, and in fact, every processor under that partition independently. So we may have, um, in the box today, we have a total of um, 
90 partitions that we can set up, which is a very large number. Very few people actually use more than five or 10 different partitions at a time. Uh, with those uh, partitions, we can have up to the maximum number of processors on the machine. Uh, and so we may have partition one set up with, say, 80 processors and partition two set up with maybe 10 processors and partition three with 45 processors. And at any given time, we could have a logical processor from partition one running on one physical. At the same time, we've got logical processor number 45 of a next partition active at the same time. So we have what I like to call in a popcorn fashion. So we've got all of these logical processors running at any given time on any number of physical processors. So other hypervisors may dispatch the entire partition or virtual machine at any given time, but we will have lots of different logical um, partitions or virtual machines and any given number of logical processors all running simultaneously. And that's a big difference. Yeah. So, so it sounds like I can overcommit my resources. You can, actually. Uh, so let's, again, let's take a hypothetical box that's got 121 physical processors on it. You could have um, a total of more logicals. So 80 in one partition, 80 in another partition, 80 in a third partition, all in adding up to 240 logical processors. Math, and, you could put them, <laughs> and you could put them all on one physical box with 121. So, yes, you have uh, very commonly, usually you do have more logical processors at any given time than you have physicals. Why would I want to do that? Uh, well, because when you've got um, downtime, for example, you've got a um, partition where there's not enough work going on. Uh, so that logical processors idle sitting in a wait state and so other physical logicals can come in and take that over and make use of it so the real advantage is that you reduce your uh, wait time overall for the for the physical machine and therefore you make a better use of it so you could take uh, consolidate a bunch of smaller machines um, put each of physical machines and put each of those into a logical um, partition on this uh, Z machine and therefore reduce your wait time, increase your utilization of the box, and therefore uh, increase the cost effectiveness of purchasing that box. Which is probably kind of important because these boxes don't cost like a grand, right? Oh, correct. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of, uh, and I don't know if we you know, can't get into this uh, in great detail, but a lot of the um, mainframe strategy is around pricing. Uh, and a lot of pricing I've seen is per core or per you know, CPU. How do virtual CPUs play into that license, or is it just another CPU? Uh, you, well, I, I'm not a marketing expert here, but uh, I understand that you market by the operating system. When, so when you put on ZOS, um, you get a certain licensing fee for that. Um, I honestly don't know if you pay by the processor or not, but I think you pay by the units that get used up, the, the um, amount of time that you're actually spent um, working on the machine. Uh, and then that license gets spread out throughout. Okay, so so however it gets used, not necessarily how it's set up, maybe. Correct. Yeah. Well, we'll put a big old asterisk on that and say we're, we're not marketing people. There, there are no ties in this room. <laughs> That's right. We're just techno weenies, so that money thing, yeah. we don't really know much about. Now, one of the real advantages from um, a cost perspective is we do have different types on the Z machine of different uh, types of processors. So you have a general processor that gets charged at whatever its rate is, um, but we all have uh, 
other processors, alternate processors, what we call secondary processors, which get charged at a uh, smaller rate. And so that's where the real cost effectiveness is. You buy it at a cheaper rate. Um, so we have uh, not only the general processors, but you've got zip processors, you've got uh, uh, integrated for Linux processors. Uh, and so those you purchase at a lower rate, and but they're also a lower pr- uh, processing fee for uh, ZOS, for example. So you may pay one rate for the GPs, but a lower rate for your zips. So as much work as you can offload to those secondary processors, the cheaper it is for you. Well, so now you used a bunch of terms here. We got to know. So zip, what is what is a zip? Um, uh, zip is integrated facility. Um, I forget what the other I stands for. Uh, but uh, the whole purpose is that you can uh, use a zip for running things like uh, databases um, so that you can really offload some of that work onto the zip processor and therefore um, make your general purpose processors, your more expensive processors, dedicated for the tasks that they really need. And you can run the cheaper work the, uh, on, a, on a zip processor at a lower rate. And a while ago, there were a zip and zap uh, processors. Correct. And I, I'm just uh, uh, integrated information processor. Okay, thank you. I'm, I'm not going to look up zap. We'll get that for the end of it. Um, but, I believe but, zap is an application assist processor. Right, yeah. Is it, it seems like it was mostly like an incentive to get people to use like the newer workloads with like Java and, and stuff yep. like that. So the, the Zap was intended for Java work. Um, now that can, has been incorporated into the Zip. So on the newest machines, we no longer have uh, both Zips and Zaps. All that Zap work has moved over into the Zip. See, now we're talking about some cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Zapping and zipping. There's and the also... Zaps. Yeah. Do you... Can you talk about those? Uh, well, not a whole lot. Um, uh, the uh, Prism pro- uh, hypervisor doesn't actually manage the SAPs, but the SAPs are intended for I.O. Um, uh, interfacing. And so we don't actually dispatch those. They're just there and whatever magic happens. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a black box. <laughs> for, for the hypervisor, it is, yeah. So uh, I know that uh, the you, you mentioned the, the IFLs, the... Therefore, Linux, I think. Integrated facility for Linux, Linux, correct. And so those we run just Linux work on? Just Linux work will run on that. So if you have, uh, for example, a um, uh, a VM partition, so it's a partition that will run the VM operating system, you can have all of the processor types um, that are available on there. So a VM operating system can um, have general processors, zips, uh, IFLs for Linux, as well as an ICF that you would use for coupling. All of those can be in there, and then you can create whatever environment you want. In addition to that, there's a Linux-only partition that you could run either general processors on or the IFL processors on. Now, if you run the IFL processors, they're cheaper. So that's really the way most folks are going to run a Linux-only partition is with all IFL processors. And then now you mentioned the the, the, are they considered ICPs, processors just for the, the coupling facility? Uh, the IF, uh, ICFs, uh, yes. So w- with the coupling facility, um, likewise, you can run your CF on that, but you could uh, use either GPs or the ICF processors, but because the ICF processors are going to be purchased at a lower rate, you would really want to be able to use that. But this I, may be the most acronym-intensive episode yeah, of the podcast so far. Yeah, this is awesome! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the um, back when I was a lad, we would have <laughs> we would have the the coupling facility as a box 
outside of the machine. Today, that doesn't happen, right? Correct. Uh, basically, you put it as a partition. Again, trying to consolidate as many individual physical boxes into a larger box, uh, which is, you know, you can uh, uh, makes it a whole lot cheaper. You can amateurize your cost over um, more partitions that way. So, really, you don't use an external CF um, c- coupling facility box anymore. Now it's a partition. And you may well have four or five different CFs uh, partitions in one Z machine alongside with eight or nine different ZOS um, partitions with a couple of uh, uh, Linux partitions, etc., all under one Z machine. Why would I have so many coupling facility partitions on a box? Uh, <laughs> um, Shrug doesn't work very well. <laughs> yeah. on a podcast. I, I would think you, because you got more um, ZOS partitions, you may just need those. Um, again, I'm not uh, an expert in that, so I really can't answer. Pro- probably more for availability, right? I would assume. Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of had a question uh, around that. You know, so so I, I know that before you people used to talk about running one big huge system. And I guess, you know, systems got bigger and just the way the computing goes, people tended to split them up a little bit for availability maybe. Um, in that kind of same style, would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses <laughs> or one horse-sized duck? <laughs> um, I'd rather make it much smaller. I, I can kick a duck easier. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Um one of the things that's it's kind of it can be uh, either enabling or perplexing about the mainframe platform is mapping the I/O, the physical I/O that you can see on the back of the machine. You know, all the, the the Ethernet and the fiber ports to what actually shows up as addresses in your in your L part. Can you kind of walk us through that path of like? Chip it to P. I'm seeing no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I am not an IO expert. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Rats. <laughs> we need one of those. We'll have to bring one of those on. Okay. Um, but can you, going back to kind of like that, that hyperconverged kind of thing where, um, you know, some people did before want to run one big, huge system. So, so keeping these systems separate, and you mentioned earlier, I can have two LPARs and they can't talk to each other. Um, what if. I do want them to talk to each other. What is available to where I can actually benefit from having them on the same system? Uh, so that's where you'd want to hook together your coupling facility, be able to send communication between. Now, certainly, um, they're different uh, machines. You've got IP addresses, so you could set up your um, you know, Internet connectivity there, and you could certainly communicate that way as well. Um, but in terms of the individual user who's sitting on the machine, running in his particular um, either operating system or the uh, uh, login ID, they have no idea that anybody else is on the box. Right. Yeah. And that's that's important and for... That, for separation, right? Yeah. For security purposes, you don't want anybody else to be able to know. Uh, there should be no way that um, one partition can be able to communicate except through specific protocols that are well-defined, right? You shouldn't be able to discover somebody else on there. And the reason you wouldn't want that is because, let's say you're uh, an IP server and you... Uh, you know, you're in the company and your purpose is you know, in the cloud. And so you've got company A in one partition and company B in another partition. And you really don't want those companies to be able to find out what each other are doing. Right? So it's a very solid, well-defined line. And it's considered by the government to be an air-gapped machine, right? Uh, defined air-gapped machine? Uh, I've got two LPARs on the same uh, system, but they might as well be two separate. Correct, processes. exactly right. Yeah, they, they they from all intents and purposes, they are completely separate. Yeah, which is important for security. 
Yeah, we take security fairly uh, uh, critically. It's not something we discovered in the past three years. (laughs) It's kind of always been there. Right. So if they need to communicate, it's got to go through very specific uh, protocols like uh, TCP IP or whatnot. So uh, we've been doing LPARs for a long time, right? Uh, Yes. Um, The PRISM hypervisor was created back in the, I want to say, early 80s. So it's been around for some 30-some-odd years, 35 years, something like that. So it's been around a long time. So so you've been doing this kind of thing for 30 years? Uh, Well, I've been working with Z for uh, 36 years. Um, I've only been in the uh, PRISM team for the last eight or nine years. So um, before that, I spent some um, stints uh, going through other parts of um, you know, Z, uh, started off working with uh, diagnostics, um, moved from that into uh, ZOS uh, level two support, and spent quite a bit of time there, yep. and then uh, back over into the uh, hypervisor. The hypervisor is kind of a more of a low-level thing, right? It's, oh, yes. It's so. considered firmware. Okay. Uh, so it's underneath, um, and then all the operating systems will get loaded on top of that. Okay. So you, um, you know, IPL or IML, your your box, your firmware load goes I, in there. I, IML? IML, initial program, uh, microcode load. Um, so uh, that is how um, you start to, uh, you know, load up your firmware and your processors uh, and uh, start your hypervisor up, get your communications going underneath that. All right, that's part of the firmware. Right. And we had, we had Brenton on, like, seems like years ago yeah. at this point, um, and he talked a lot about uh, Millicode. Yes. Right? Okay. So... Uh, where does where does the microcode start and the millicode and uh, it's very confusing. So we interface quite a bit over through the uh, with the millicode. So um, and also through i three ninety and interface that's out there. Um, so the hypervisor comes up and we will dispatch some requests to uh, the millicode or, or whatnot to do some work for us and then come back. So. Uh, we communicate back and forth quite a bit. So you think of you guys think of the Millicode as the machine, basically. Yes, the machine underneath right. us. Yeah. So so you guys are a big fat liar, but there's a big fat liar right beneath you. Beneath <laughs> us, so you got all kinds of layers going on okay. here. Correct. Um, so certain um, instructions, for example, in order to keep things going, as the partition, uh, the processor issues a request. Remember, the hypervisor is dispatching um, and you know pretending to the user that there were the machine. So if it uh, issues a request for a, um, give me the, the STAP or the, um, the physical address of the processor, well, it doesn't get it directly from the physical because we're emulating that. So it comes to the PRISM hypervisor. We say, ah, we're going to pretend and we're going to give you that you're running on processor 5. That's a logical processor 5. Well, really, we might be dispatch on physical processor 42. Um, but you don't care about the physical. You care about the logical. So we have to pretend an interface. So we um, come out to us on certain numbers of instructions. Some things that we can't do, we need underlying millicode for. So we'll send a request down to millicode. And so we've got all these layers that happen just to make the imagery all work. This sounds like an episode of Black Mirror implemented <laughs> in <Yeah>. software. <laughs> Do you remember by any chance like what was the original business problem or even technical problem that brought around the idea of let's build this LPAR thing? I don't know. No, I, I, yeah, I was not working on uh, LPAR way back at that time, so I can't tell you what the original issue was. We'll make something up. Yeah, it'll sound good. Yeah. <laughs> 
Let's let's just make sure that that part doesn't happen. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I still have a, a bunch of questions on this. First of all, uh, you talk about this logical part, uh, this logical CPU thing and the physical CPU thing, and you allow me to create more uh, logical CPUs than there are physical ones. But do I normally say, okay, for this partition, there are these five physical? Uh, CPUs, and that's just the way it is? Is that part of that? Well, that's a good question. And yes and no is the answer. <laughs> uh, so we have... I've talked to today already about what we call a shared um, partition, where we've got lots and lots of different logical processors that are being dispatched onto the physicals in what I call a popcorn fashion. Um, the advantage of that, as I say, is that you can make use of a physical um, processor that is in a wait state. And somebody else then, if I don't need it anymore, some other processor, logical, can come along and start using it. And so you uh, increase the um, efficiency of your physical processor. And so you want to run it maybe at 80, uh, 98 or 99%, very high. However, um, there's a trade-off with that. Um, as a result, with that uh, logical, I have to as a hypervisor, I need to take that logical off so he doesn't hog that uh, physical too much and let another logical processor come on so they can share that. Uh, if, however, I've got some uh, partition that requires um, more focus and I really get a you know, focus all my work on you know the physical process, and I don't want to let anybody else in. I can actually create that partition in what we call a dedicated mode. Uh, what a dedicated partition is is I say I'm not going to share my toys with anybody. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take that uh, uh, toy box and I'm going to own it all to myself, and I'm literally dedicating my uh, physical processor. To that logical. I'm going to lick that cupcake. <laughs> it's mine. It's my cupcake now. That's right. So nobody else can get it. So I could create a partition that's got, say, five dedicated physical processors on it, and nobody else can get to it. If, if I go into a wait state, that physical processor sits idle. Well, that could be a waste of resource, but on the other hand, uh, I want to make sure that I have very quick attention to that physical, and so uh, I could do that. So we have two ty uh, partition types, as I say. We've got a physical partition where I own that physical processor. Nobody else can get to it no matter what. Or we have a shared partition where I'm willing to be nice and share my downtime with somebody else. So we basically have the the dedicated stuff, which the the... Uh, the kind of thing that nobody is allowed to share. Mm -hmm. and that's kind of why Jeff is with his stuff, right? And then we have the, the shared, the person who, who kind of lets everybody do whatever they need to do. That'd be more like the Frank model, <laughs> right? So the, the selfish Jeff kind. I'll just be taking my microphones back now. <laughs> <laughs> And the sharing, Frank. Yeah, so I would say most customers run in shared partitions because they want to increase the utilization of their processes. Right. However, IBM recommends that your coupling facilities, those that are using to uh, couple together two mm. ZOS um, par uh, partitions, those coupling facilities we recommend actually run dedicated because we want to make sure that those uh, that communication happens very quickly and you don't want to have... Uh, You'd be able to share. Basically, I don't want to share my toys with anybody else with a CF. You really want that to be able to happen in a dedicated mode. So that's the partition that very often uh, is used, especially in production, as a dedicated partition. But you could do any partition if you wanted to as dedicated. And I'm sure customers have good reasons 
that they would want their general partition to be dedicated as well. Yeah, cool. especially those CPs, the general purpose ones that cost a little, a little more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you said we, we've had this partition thing for 30 years. PRISM has been around for 30 years. Isn't kind of all the programming done? Are you, are you just drawing a salary and yeah. doing nothing? You, you would think we'd have it all set down. And actually, the box works extremely well. Prism works extremely well. But we, uh, the hardware folks keep coming up with you know new ideas to make the machines faster, better, more secure, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and as a result of machine changes, increased processor uh, counts, increased I.O. interfaces, um, new ways of doing I.O., LPAR has to manage all that. And so, therefore, we have to uh, keep making changes to keep up with the new hardware and to be able to improve things as we continue to grow. Seems Nothing like one of those, stays small. <laughs> it, it seems like one of those things where as long as everything works absolutely perfectly, you're invisible. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> you, you never want us to, uh, to know that we're there. <laughs> right. Well, this is great. Um, you really... Uh, have given us an idea of how this stuff works and and the fact that there are all these different things kind of going on at the same time um, lets us see why the mainframe is fundamentally different than, say, if I'm running um, an x86 box with, with VMware on it. So, so to me, that's that's really what I was hoping to get out of this. Yeah, if if I'm if I'm a sysprog, is do I need what do I need to know about Prism to ta best take advantage of it, or is it just the fact that it's just there and doing its thing? Really, you don't need to know anything about Prism uh, in particular. Now, uh, so in order to be best make use of the hardware. Um, you're going to want to understand how many partitions that you're going to need. Um, you're going to want to know how many physical processors you're going to need. When you start up ZOS, you're going to want to know, do I make this a hyper-dispatch partition or not? Um, Can you it, talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, All right. So hyper-dispatch is a way that... Um, the LPAR hypervisor can make better use of a physical processor. We talked about the dedicated processors, and we talked about shared processors. A dedicated processor has its sole use of that um, physical processor, whereas shared um, has you know, lots of people sharing with it. The whole idea behind going into... Um, the hyper-dispatch is to get the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. As soon as the operating system opts in and you have a sysparm in ZOS that you put in to say, I want to go hyper-dispatch, uh, what that does is it tries to pack as much of the utilization of the processors into as few as you can. So let's say we start off with 10 processors in the partition. And um, as a result of the weight of the partition, I'll talk about weight in a minute. Um, as a result of the weight of the partition. I thought they were virtual. They shouldn't weigh anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as a result of the weight of the partition, I have uh, control or, or, or my, my share is about five physicals. So I've got 10 logicals, but I can use as much as five physicals. Well, I try to pack as much as I can into those five physicals. And as a result, we can do that with going to hyper-dispatch. So basically, ZOS will put all of my work on the five and not even use those extra leftover five unless they really need to, unless they get a spike, and then they'll start to bring those in as they need. So it makes the hyper-dispatch makes the best of both worlds, the dedicated and the shared, 
together. So let's talk a little bit about weight. Uh, that is not W-A-I-T, where you are <laughs> sitting around. Uh, it's W-E-I-G-H-T, where we um, determine how what our percentage is of the box. So let's start with, we have three partitions. And the first partition um, has a weight of 500. The second partition has a weight of 250. And the third partition has a weight of 250. Just to make the math easy, um, that Thank adds you. up to 1,000, right? So we've got three partitions out there. The total weight uh, summation is 1,000. But the first partition has 500. So it actually has 500 of 1,000 or half of the box. So, again, making the math easy, let's say we start off with 100 processors in this box with uh, the three partitions weighted 500, 250, and 250. The first partition has half of the box or 50 processors. He is entitled to 50 processors of that machine. If everybody's super, super busy and taking all that they can, then LPAR, the PRISM uh, hypervisor's responsibility is to make sure that partition A only gets what he is entitled to. So he's entitled to half of the machine, and that's what he's gonna get. The other two partitions are entitled to a quarter of the machine, 250 out of the total 1,000 weight, and so we have to make sure that they don't get more than they're entitled to, assuming the box is 100% busy. Now, if partition B, has nothing to do. They go home at night. Partition A wants more time. He's only entitled to half the box, but partition B is not using his portion. We can actually suck up more of that if needed, if desired, to get up to what we want to do. So that's where we can get more than our entitlement or overcommitted in. Okay. Uh, and that and that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so that way uh, we can make use of the box as much as we can. However, let's say that partition um, A. Um, is only paying, they're, they're part of the cloud, and they, their partition is only paying for half of the machine. Well, even though the other guys aren't doing anything, you don't want, that, as a service provider, you don't want that um, partition A to get more than he's paying for. So you can actually cap him at his entitlement. And therefore, no matter what the rest of the machine uh, partitions are doing in the machine, he won't get more than his entitlement if you, as a service provider, cap him. But if you own the entire box, you're not a cloud guy, right? If you're a major company who's running your payroll and your production on it, you don't want to cap it, then you're entitled to run more. Uh, you can get more than your entitlement. So that's part of the whole sharing and the weight. Wow. So you can play both sides of the coin there. You can play both sides of the coin simply by getting in and turning a, a switch on in the, uh, in the partition profile. Can I also move those caps from time to time? You can. You can move them anytime you want to. So even though the machine is up and running, um, you don't need re-IML or even re-IPL the partition, re-IPL being starting ZOS all over again. Um, you can get in and bring up a panel and shift those weights, change those um, as a uh, uh, operator on the machine. There's a panel that comes up and you say, well, I know we had 500, 250, and 250, but I want to change it to 400, uh, 300, and 300. I can do that at a whim. I can do that every 10 seconds if I physically want to sit there at the box to do that. But most people don't want to sit there at the box and do it that often. So as a result, ZOS has an, uh, a feature called WLM, the Workload Manager. And it does what we want, don't want to do as a human, 
shifting those weights around. It can do it dynamically. You set up some parameters in WLM, WLM and I'm no WLM expert by any means, um, but you can set some parameters in there, and then it will shift the weight between its partitions that it has as it feels it needs to. And so, again, give more to one than another, um, and you can do that in a software fashion, as I say, with WLM, or you can do it in the hardware fashion by bringing up the panel and physically changing to what you want, and then it will stay at that until you know you change it again. And some people do. There are customers who will get in there every shift and uh, raise um, the partition for one higher and for another partition lower. For example, during the day, you may want your online users to get more resource and your batch users to get less. And so they would shift that at the beginning of first shift. At the end of first shift, they would change it back so the batch gets more and the off-shift users uh, don't get as much. Wow. Yeah, because there's, there's less need for it. They're all home in bed, presumably. Mm. <laughs> um, or perhaps you've got some folks in uh, uh, Europe um, on one partition, and so they're, during their daytime is going to be very different than folks on the Pacific West Coast of the U.S. Um, so those you know two partitions would work at different times, and therefore you can make use of the machine and uh, and whatnot that way too, using you know follow the sun. Awesome, awesome. Um, you you said uh, I, I can. IPL to start ZOS. How does IPL mean start ZOS? Well, um, when you... in your partition profile, there's lots of things you can put in there, including the number of processors, the amount of storage that you want to make use of. Um, uh, all that goes into your partition profile. You can also put in there that I want to automatically load a particular DASD address, which then bootloads ZOS. Um, so when as soon as you activate the uh, partition, you can automatically IPL or start ZOS with that. So when you start the bootloader, it gives control into the ZOS loader who looks at its parameters and whatnot in SysParm and then starts its magic from there. Okay. So IPL stands for? Initial Program Load. Okay. And DASD? Uh, DASD is a Direct Access Storage Device. Uh, okay. Are we doing my favorite acronym now? <laughs> I, I just I want to make sure you have all these words. I don't know what they mean. So uh, from the vernacular, it's just a disk drive. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a very fast disk drive, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so uh, we're not talking little bitty things that you put in your laptop. These are large, you know, uh, very, very large devices. Awesome. Awesome. Giving us a lot to think about today. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you figure out um, how many to put for for my box? Is there some kind of math or is is, is it – Algebraic. I mean, how do I figure this out? It's really based on what the individual customer's needs are. If uh, you have a lot of um, testing partitions, uh, let's say you're a test bed and you need a whole bunch of individual um, uh, different uh, operating system levels, perhaps you want, you know, ZOS X for this partition and ZOS, uh, ZOS Y for that partition, for example, uh, you can do that. And each test bed may only have one you know, user on it, you know, tester, right? And so you may have lots and lots of these partitions. If, however, um, and they're very small, right? If, however, you are a very large um, uh, customer doing tons of work, you may only have two or three very large um, partitions. It all depends on what you need for your individual uh, machine and your box. And so you have control over that. So you don't, there, there's no magic number to say, okay, well, uh, because I've only got three people on here, I only need 
you know, two processes. Yeah, there, there is no magic number. It all depends on what you need. Except 42. Um, <laughs> well, that's right. That's the best number, right? The answer <laughs> to life, universe, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're doing very, you know, compute intensive, um, you know, weather forecasting, you may need a, a whole ton of processors in there to be able to do that. Uh, if you're doing something much smaller um, and running, you know, a virtual uh, machine uh, operating system, uh, a VM operating system, for example, that's got four users on it for whatever they're doing, you may need just a few processors and a much smaller partition. So it all depends on your need, but you've got that flexibility. I think it's kind of important to point to the fact that uh, there's so much granularity in the virtualization here that it gives you a lot more flexibility than you would have in something that that really kind of dedicates – says, I'm going to take the whole box and divide it by – a tenth of a piece or a twentieth of a piece. Yeah, it's important to know that we you don't have to divide evenly. These yeah. partitions can be a wide range. You can have one partition that's huge because it's it needs it for its workload, and you can have another partition that's tiny because that's all it needs. And the uh, hypervisor uh, LPAR Prism, that's its job is to make sure that the tiny guy gets its share and it doesn't get you know locked out by the big bullies. That's deep. <laughs> it's it is also you were talking before about like five processors and three processors it is funny you know talking about setting up systems with a number of processors that is not like a power of two. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah you can have any number that you choose you get 5.7 processors today and 318 and a half megabytes of RAM. <laughs> well, well, you mentioned 5.2. And, and yes, so far I've been talking about very even numbers, but it doesn't have to be an even number. I, I choose numbers because, you know, the math is easy for me, right? right? Uh, but instead, uh, you know, uh, that partition we talked about to having 500, 250, and 250, if I want the weight to be, you know, 254, and therefore, instead of getting 25 processors, I get 25.6 or 25.03. That's fine. The weight will work out. We'll take it down to the hundredths of the processor in order to, you know, to give that to you. And we can do that. I mean, the key was we can do that on the fly. On the fly. And so I, I don't need it right now, but in, in five or six seconds, I might need it. And so we can change it in a, at a fair, maybe not at the one second, but we can change it right. at a very um, minute time. Frame. Right, right. And so, you know, you can have, you know, fractions of a, pro uh, a processor, uh, you know, and divide that up and shift that around as you need. Correct. They're not T-shirt sizes. <laughs> That's right. One size does not fit all. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Jerry. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you. Uh, glad to be able to be here. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.